Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Factotum, Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Jay. How are you this morning? Well, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, uh, uh, again, uh, the Rose Bowl, uh, fairly happy about that, less happy about as I, as I imagine you are, the, the Browns' loss and the Steelers' removal from the playoffs uh, because of that. But uh, Yeah, it was, it was rough. But then again, uh, not having to follow the NFL playoffs means I have more time to dig into things like, well, geez, I don't know, the, the choice between food, watching food teams policy. I hate in the playoffs and, and well, and, you know, the, the government shutdown. <laughs> so I guess, I guess we'll just have to talk about more about the government shutdown, which, of course, hey, we're on, I think it's day 14, isn't it? At this point, yeah, day lest, 14, lest we forget. As, as we record this, yeah. And, uh, you know, this affects, of course, people I'm sure know, this affects around a quarter, I believe it is, of uh, the federal government. That's those agencies that weren't funded by the spending bills that Congress approved and that President Trump signed into law back in September of 2018. And right now, so that means around 800,000 federal workers are affected, including those 350,000 or so who've been furloughed. And of course, in the past, as you know, Jay, there's a good likelihood that those furloughed workers will end up getting back pay because Congress tends to approve that pay for, for those workers. But the same won't be true for the you know fairly large number of private government contractor employees who also aren't working due to the shutdown. They're just probably more or less out of luck. At least a lot of them will be. Um, Now, of course, the issue is, as everyone knows, border security, Uh, specifically that $5 billion that President Trump is demanding for uh, construction of a border wall. And he's been pretty clear saying there's not going to be any deal without it. But House Democrats have been equally adamant that they won't include border wall funding. Uh, Nancy Pelosi fairly bluntly put it, saying, no, how many more times can we say no? Nothing for the wall. Um, There you go. And of course, as one of their first acts in the majority, House Democrats passed legislation that would fund everything but the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, And they based the funding bills for that on previous bipartisan legislation that had been agreed upon in the last Senate. And alongside this, they passed a continuing resolution that would fund DHS while negotiations over wall funding continued. But it's pretty clear that that's something of a non-starter, at least at this point, right? Because uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has made it clear that his chamber isn't going to consider anything that President Trump won't sign. And President Trump appears to have very little interest in going along with these House measures that were recently passed. And I'm presuming because he feels that he's either winning or will win the shutdown and that this kind of continued pressure is going to cause the Democrats to essentially blink first and give him what he wants. And, you know, his comment just uh, yesterday about the shutdown lasting months or even years. Now, obviously, that's the years part, especially typical kind of ridiculous (laughs) Trump hyperbole. But I think it does clearly point to the fact that this could go on for, you know, a a while longer. So I think that kind of brings us up to date as to where we are. So, Jay, I mean, I guess first off, I was curious, what do you think about the House Democrats' proposals, before we get into how you see this playing off, what what they've actually done legislatively? Well, I I think um, 
I think they're making a mistake, actually, uh, with the, you know, absolutely no funding for uh, a, a wall. Now, again, we're into semantics a little bit. I mean, well, I mean, uh, but, but, but before we get into that, and I think that's an important point and maybe the, obviously the key thing. But I mean, in terms of keeping the government going, it seems like, I mean, this is the case I would make is that what they did essentially, what they passed essentially is things that, again, a majority of the Senate agreed to in the last session. And they're basically saying, well, okay, let's keep on talking about this. But while we're doing it, let's make sure the government keeps on running. And and I'm wondering what you think about that approach to dealing with this on an ongoing basis. Um, I, I think um, if if they were if the Republicans and, and Trump uh, were to agree to that, it would lose a lot of leverage. Sure. Um, you know what? What would happen is then? Okay, yes, we'll discuss it. We'll discuss it. We'll discuss it. But uh, the default is a a uh, Pelosi win on that. Uh, the thing gets discussed and discussed, and we're a couple years down the road, and uh, there is no funding. Um, and the Democrats have have essentially stopped uh, a, a wall or a fence or a um, gate or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, I mean, I I don't expect Republicans to buy into that. Now, if you were to have uh, you could have alternate proposals, right? We have something like that of, of uh, okay, we'll fund it for a set period of time, but here's a sunset, and uh, uh, you know we have to get this done by this time, or we have another shutdown. Um, that kicks the can a little bit, but it still gives you some sort of a uh, definitive um, uh, look. We're we're working towards something, sure. and it's not just an indefinite. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it. Well, so, and, and see that—that's my sense. Though I would argue that that's exactly what what you described is exactly what House Democrats approved, because essentially they're saying, "Well, we're not going to we're not going to try to fund everything for for Homeland Security, which is you know the the crux of this issue, the border security thing. Right. We're just going to pass a CR, but let's not hold the rest of these government agencies that have little to nothing to do with this hostage." To this debate, let's not use things like national parks as or, you know, uh, uh, approval of new medical devices by the FDA or, or things like that. Let's not hold them hostage to this border security debate. Let's make this a debate that's focused on border security. So to me, this seems like the most reasonable way forward. And I think it's I certainly understand the leverage argument. But but to me, I think it's uh, I, I think it's a sort of a dishonorable thing to hold these other parts of the government leverage that have nothing to do with this simply to try to improve your negotiating position. Well, I mean, I suppose it's dishonorable unless you consider that this was the key promise that that Trump ran on, right? I mean, uh, I would I think you could you could certainly say a lot of the electorate uh, views um, this as a as a big issue, rightly or wrongly. Sure. Uh, but, but they do, um, and more so, I mean, I think just the politics of it, if the Democrats position is, well, we're not going to fund Homeland Security, um, um, that's, that's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take those odds. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll go in, I'll take, I'll go into that fight. Um, no, and I totally, so, I agree yeah. with you on that. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is that why as like a, at least a good faith kind of measure, why can't we approve the funding for everything else that's not related? And then because DHS would still not be funded and that crisis would grow and grow. So it's not like there wouldn't be any leverage. There'd still be the issues at the border and so forth. So but 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 you're saying that 
you don't think that that's a good way forward. Am I? Am I? Because 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 at some point Charlie Brown realizes that Lucy is going to pull the football, no matter what, right? And 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 you just and that's sort of that's sort of uh, a key reason why I think uh, Trump was elected. Um, Who's Lucy? Is, uh, Help me out. <laughs> oh, for, you know, for no, um, from from peanuts. I mean the no, you know, no. I mean I mean Lucy I mean, I, mean, I, know, the I, mean, and, I mean, oh. who's Lucy in the analogy? <laughs> oh, the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi oh. is Lucy. Interesting. Okay. Well, yes, see, I, Nancy, I, I, I would disagree with the analogy. The says, look, if you if you agree with me, look, I promise we will negotiate in good faith. We're not going to just pull this football away from you. And Charlie Brown says, oh, okay, well, I'll, let's do that. And, and you can see what comes next. Gotcha. Okay. I, I get the analogy. I think it's, I think it's entirely an a, 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 a apt a, a analogy, but I do get it. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about then the policy aspects of this. Um, I mean, what would you like to see? What, what do you think makes the most sense in terms of policy? Putting the strategic elements sure. aside for a minute what would you like to see in terms of in terms of policy on this well i, I, th- I think again and the actual numbers that we're talking about they are so close that it's yeah. you know in government terms it's a rounding error and you made that point uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked saying really this is not about money at all because five billion dollars that's you know there was actually i think a republican uh a uh, member of the House who suggested, well, you know, President Trump could fund a big part of this out of his own pocket, you know, and okay, it's a joke, <laughs> but not. you know, in a way, you know, but, but anyway, go ahead. I just wanted to point that but, out. But no, so, so the numbers we're talking about, and I think that is going to, you know, if the Republicans play right, you know, out in the public at some point, the look, Trump's asked for 5 billion, Democrats were at, at one and a half. Um, supposedly there was another White House counteroffer that was somewhere in between. Uh, and Trump disavowed, and, yeah, that Pence made, and, yeah. he said, and Trump said, no, um, no, no, I don't, yeah. But but regardless, I mean, there's 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 space there. The difficulty is, is again, Democrats being seen as giving Trump a win on something that could be called a wall. Trump has even sort of walked back, well, it doesn't have to be a wall, because these sort of kind of things are... Um, so, like I said, that that the semantics I think are, are a little bit important, and it might be more a way of of working at finding a way that that Trump can call the law, but the Democrats can call it something else. Um, but the other the other big policy piece, and, and this is the card that Trump hasn't played yet, and I don't know whether he will or not, would be a, a DACA for wall deal. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, and and I I think if if we're in the context of government shutdown. And Trump says, "Look, you give me you give me five billion, um, uh, and uh, or even four and a half billion or whatever it is. Uh, I'll give you DACA, and uh, you know we reopen the government. Democrats, I think, would be really in in a tough position to to not take that that deal in some way, shape, or form. Um, now, I think the 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 question is, would Trump essentially sell DACA for five billion? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, that, no, that yeah." It, it, I know. I, I totally, uh, to me, I totally agree with you on this. Actually, this is exactly the solution I'd like to see. In fact, I, I, I would, I would, it would be interesting to me to see what would happen if the Democrats said, "You know what? We won't just give you five billion. We'll give you ten billion for border wall construction and enhancement if it is accompanied by comprehensive immigration reform, not just DACA, 
but also more funding for immigration judges, more funding for facilities to handle these people coming in, seeking asylum, expanding E-Verify, all that stuff, wrap it all up into a huge program. There would be, uh, I think, you know, this would actually be the sort of thing that President Trump could possibly go for, though people like Stephen Miller, his top, you know, uh, domestic policy person would probably be very uncomfortable about that. There'd be a lot of House uh, and Senate Republicans who would be put in some awkward positions about this. But I think that would be, I would love to see that kind of proposal because to me, from a policy, just from a policy standpoint, not a partisan standpoint, that to me is what makes the most sense. Of course, I would say, of course, we could use $5 billion to enhance border security in terms of walls. But to me, the greater need isn't that, but it's billions and billions more than that to take care of our processes, which I think are fundamentally broken. Yeah, well, I, and I, I don't know that they would make that offer just on the process, because and I think Trump wouldn't blink on spending money, right? I mean, he's not typically no, he's I mean, not, really a yeah. fiscal conservative. So there wouldn't be, I, I think you'd have, you'd have some um, pushback depending on what the number was. But even so, um, in terms of federal budget expenditures, those kind of numbers that we're talking about aren't break the bank kind of numbers. Um, uh, but, but I don't know. I don't, I don't see uh, the Democrats making that offer. No, no, I don't either. Uh, I, I just don't. So I would I would be very I would be very surprised if they did. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised Trump hasn't made it yet, uh, and I think he just might be be biding his time. The one, you know, the the reason I think he's given um, uh, is, is that look, the case is still technically uh, in court, and if you remember the the way this has played out is you've had one court that is is at least one court that has said that what Obama did was was unconstitutional. But sort of uh, held in abeyance any any injunction, yeah. um, getting rid of the DACA program, uh, and then Trump sort of said, "I'm I'm uh, not going to uh, uh, continue to follow it at at some point," but hasn't really followed through on that yet. Uh, so you know the, that case will eventually go to the Supreme Court, and I, I believe there may have been another court that said uh, went the other way, which would set up for Supreme Court. But so. I think they're 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 sort of you know circling each other, and there's that that court thing where there's risk on both sides. Yeah. And, um, but that, but then of course the one element we haven't really talked about a whole lot is the Senate side, where Mitch McConnell once again proving that he's a reprehensible human being, basically has just said, you know what, I it's, this has nothing to do with the Senate. We're just going to kind of wait around and see what happens, because of course Mitch McConnell has never wanted to put himself at any kind of never wanted to expend any political capital. Mitch McConnell's strictly a creature of power and control, and if he has any if he has anything that he actually cares about aside from that, I've never seen any sort of sign of it. I mean, I, I there are many ways in which I actually respect Donald Trump more than I respect Mitch McConnell, which is saying quite a lot. So, uh, wow. uh, yeah, I think Mitch McConnell is just a just a horrendous human being because he just plays the system to try to gain power. To what end? I think to, for Mitch McConnell, you know, power is its own end. And Donald Trump is just sort of a psychologically damaged person. But Mitch McConnell, I, I don't I don't like to throw around the term bad or evil. But if I were going to use it, it would be for someone <laughs> like Mitch McConnell, actually, because I just think he's a just a horrific human being. But anyway, you know, the Senate, my point is here, getting off my soapbox, my anti-McConnell soapbox, that the Senate could do something here, too. And, as you know, the Republicans could in the Senate could propose something. But it's pretty clear that McConnell doesn't want to just wants to keep himself 
clean of this and doesn't want to force, you know, anything, just wants to wait and see what happens because, hey, that's Mitch McConnell's, uh, that's his thing. Well, I, I don't, uh, I don't share your antipathy for Mitch McConnell. I wouldn't say he's my, my favorite Republican, but I, I don't think he's, he's quite as evil as, as, as you see. And I get it from a, um, uh, you know, strategic standpoint. Um, uh, why would, why would he wade into this at this point? Um, I think he's got a good argument and there's, it's, you know, a constitutional argument. I mean, spending bills have to start in the house. Um, uh, you know, that said, I, I would be, I would be surprised if there weren't sort of back channel discussions between senators and members of the house yeah. at some point, sure, right? Yeah. yeah. Some, yeah. <clears throat> so, so, I mean, McConnell, McConnell can, can maintain the official, this is the position of the Senate that I'm not bringing anything on the floor. I'm not pushing anything. Uh, but if, if someone comes to him with a proposal, a, a compromise and you know at that point he can he can move forward with it but i mean look as a it, it's one of these constitutional quirks that we have that spending bills have to start in the house so yeah yeah but 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 of course well you're you know that's a very good point but of course it's very convenient for mitch mcconnell and certainly he could be taking a more active role but it, you know tactically that would just not make a lot of a, a lot of sense and and mitch mcconnell may be many things and a lot of them are bad but certainly he is a savvy tactician that, that's i think that's fair to say without a doubt so uh, how do you see all this playing out i mean obviously Neither you or I think this is going to last years. Um, even even <laughs> President Trump, to be fair, that quote was kind of taken. The media has been taking that out of context. He said he doesn't think that's going to happen. I mean, what what do you see? The do you have any predictions as to the end game of this? Well, I, I think one one would be sort of the easy fix, where, um, like you said, they come up with some sort of interim compromise and agree to keep you know, keep talking about other border security issues and DACA issues. And this is sort of a prelude to some grand bargain down, down the road. Um, I don't know that there's a grand bargain in the offing. And just because, uh, look, if, if I'm Democrats, I, I, I don't want this issue to go away. Right. Yeah. Um, and quite honestly, if you look back, there was a, essentially a DACA deal that there was sort of, this deal was, was proposed in, uh, 2008. Uh, and it was Barack Obama uh, who ended up scuttling it, uh, where, you know, Republicans were ready to agree to DACA uh, in exchange for some border security. Um, and, uh, the Democrats didn't want it cause they wanted to run on the issue. Um, so I, I don't think you get a grand bargain. I, I could, I could be wrong. I mean, unless Trump really forces it, uh, right. you know, he puts it out there and they, and then they're in such a, a really, uh, a tough position to, to say, look, you had DACA and you walked away. Um, but I, I I don't see that happening. So I, I think you may end up with a something in between where we have you know three and a half million dollars for uh, an amorphous sort of border security, uh, which may or may not include some sort of uh, physical barrier, uh, which may or may not be called a wall. Um, you know that that both sides can sort of save face and say, okay, well we got something and we'll continue the fight. Uh, and in the meantime, the government reopens. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would be willing to say uh, to agree that that would be the most likely outcome if we had a normal president or even a close to normal president. But I, I normally I'm the one who's willing to just make these big predictions. Right, Jay. But, right. I, you know, I, I think I've learned something from Donald Trump is that he's so incredibly erratic that 
I mean, I could certainly see this seems to be a manner of a matter of not a principle because principle and Trump in the same sentence that makes no sense to me. But it, it's become a very personal thing with the president, and it's a matter I think of not displaying weakness. And given the fact that he was ready to agree, you know, earlier in December, and then he heard some things on, I don't know, on Fox and Friends and from the Freedom Caucus basically saying, uh, you know, this would be weak. And all of a sudden he reversed course. Uh, I, I think he, he might even you know, be less inclined to deal. I wouldn't be surprised if he says, you know what, unless it's five billion or more, I'm just not going to sign anything. But then again, he could wake up the next day and say, uh, I, I don't know what he could say. He's just so I have no idea how this is going to play out, but I don't expect to be, I don't expect to see a solution before, you know, next week's show. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I probably not before next week. I, I would say the, the other thing, though, is keep in mind the numbers for the average person uh, who follows politics and especially for people who don't, the numbers are sort of meaningless. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No one is going to no one is going to say uh, Trump failed because he only got four and a half billion right. instead of five billion. Right. Um, the the difference is did trump get something built or not get something built so i think i think him him fixating on numbers would be a be a mistake uh likewise the same thing the democrats need to be able to say that the numbers uh are typically not an issue with with any uh, with democrat constituencies um if they you know they would say well we'll give uh you know 500 billion for something as long as it's not a wall uh, so it comes down to what can you call it and, and how do both sides save face in doing that? Yeah, well, you know, my, my hope is, I think, along, along with yours, that uh, saner, saner heads, cooler heads prevail. And there seems to be certainly kind of a more centrist push for that kind of a compromise. That's normally how these things work out. And, and that's, that's kind of what I hope will end up happening. But we'll see if that actually does, does happen. Um, all right, you know, also this week, of course, the 116th Congress convened for the very first time. And the big news here, obviously, is that Democrats regain control of the House and Republicans pick up two seats in the Senate. Now they're at 5347. And, you know, in the House, of course, it's going to be an interesting time for Republicans, given that around three fourths of them have never been in the minority. So they'll have to kind of learn what that role is, is, is all about. And, and also, of course, there are a record number of women in Congress, 102 in the House, 25 in the Senate, and that's just about one quarter of the entire Congress, though that number skews very heavily Democratic. Around 90% uh, of the female members of Congress are Democrats. And, but, but really, that, that's a big change throughout you know, even recent history. To give you a sense of that, you know, when Nancy Pelosi first came to Congress in 1987, there were only 23 total female members of Congress. So that's a, you know, that's kind of a, a big deal, I, I would certainly say. Um, and now, Jay, before we get to some of what Congress did this week, our expectations, our predictions, um, you know, you talked about this before, but just kind of briefly, what do you think about this record number of women and Democratic women in particular? Do you think this is going to change anything, good thing, bad thing, or, you know, really doesn't really make a difference either way? Uh, you know, to me, it, again, this is just I and, and you and I tend to look at the world differently. Um, uh, I don't think it changes much, right? I mean, I think the the problems that we face uh, are the same problems um, that we faced uh, before. I I don't know that I, I'm not I'm not a big believer in in the idea that someone has some special insight or or special gifts or special powers 
uh, because they're of this gender or that gender or this race or that race. Right. Right. I mean, I think some people are smart. Some people are less so. Um, and, and it turns on that, uh, more than, uh, more than any, uh, genetic component. Um, sure. so I, I mean, to me, to me, look, the, the budget numbers are the budget numbers, uh, the, the DACA stuff and, and what we just talked about or or what we just talked about. I don't, I don't know that there's a, a, uh, uh, you know, woman's perspective on that versus a man's perspective. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people to who will who will weigh in and, and correct me on that. But um Well I I, 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 I just that's that's the way I say and, and look, I, I've seen it if you look at state legislatures, uh I know there have certainly been a lot of women in state legislatures. Um and you haven't seen anything really different come out of it, right? Well, Again, I'd, you, I'd you say you're partly right. Problems. I'd say you're right to a point. Um that on certain issues uh, just because you're 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 female or you're whatever an eskimo or you're something else that doesn't mean that that unique perspective means that your views on the budget or something else are going to be unique or more enlightened yeah. but on certain issues i think it absolutely does make a difference and you know there's been some political scientists have done some studies for instance on state legislatures and they found that that female representatives vote in a you know systematically or significantly different way on what are sometimes called uh women's issues things like reproductive rights uh things like sexual harassment that sort of thing and so i think on those subset of issues those those experiences actually are relevant and can make a difference. Now, most issues aren't those issues, but there right. are certain areas in which that, those experiences can matter. Just like how I think, you know, many Republicans would say, well, it's good to have people with business experience in Congress because they understand the sort of unique issues that business business people go through and therefore they can they have that enlightened Amen. perspective on that issue. Yes. So I, I, I'm wondering if you would agree with me to to the extent that on those issues that are related to those specific things, issues that, you know, tend to concern women, maybe more things like, you know, like I said, sexual harassment, reproductive rights, that that actually can make a difference. Oh, I, I, I suppose, um, again, the, um, you know, my, my sense is you may, you made the, uh, uh, analogy of, of, you know, a business person. And I would say, yes, absolutely. And a, a businessman or a businesswoman will probably bring in those same, same perspectives. Um, uh, I'm, maybe, I mean, but look, are, are, is there, a, is there really a big, are we at a point in our country where we are arguing one way or the other about, um, sexual harassment? I mean, is there's, there's not really oh, a pro-sexual so. harassment. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, yet. absolutely. I think we're arguing about it in the sense that, not in, the, not in the sense that actually physically harassing somebody or forcing yourself physically on somebody is is wrong. I mean, I think every that's, reasonable that's already pretty much prohibited by sure. state laws and federal laws. But it's it's but it's things that are much more that are much uh, less sort of in the margins that I think we're absolutely arguing on. What does it mean to create a, a hostile work environment? That sort of thing. Is it is it okay to to make certain remarks to somebody and so forth? And so absolutely, I think there are plenty of people on the right who'd say, oh, that's just being politically correct. Whereas there are plenty of people on the left who would say, no, and, and the reason you don't understand that is because of, you know, your your white male privilege, that sort of thing. And, th- you know, these are obviously issues I should point out. And this is kind of a plug that you and I talked about in our in our uh, our recent policy show on, on racism and sexism. Right. So, you know. Yeah. But, but, but again, my, my point is that that stuff, that's already all on the books. 
right? Well, some of it is and some of it isn't. I mean, you know, like, for instance, Congress still hasn't done nearly enough, I don't think, to actually police itself in terms of members of Congress uh, harassing you know, their, their aides and, 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 and interns okay. and that sort of thing. So I think there's, I mean, fair, well, that's, that's, a, I guess, was that's a fair, that's a fair point. I mean, I was thinking more in bigger of, you know, bigger policy pictures, although I think, although Congress did, I think just pass the, um, the rule about, um, uh, no, uh, non-disclosures. Right. Right. For, yeah. For these, so they the, move the, forward in this very grudgingly, I think in many ways, but, uh, but still, I think obviously, you know, three quarters of Congress is still, is still male, um, and I, I think that that's going to change. Yeah, but a hundred percent, a hundred percent of them are politicians, and yeah. I, I think that's that's. That, I mean, I think that's sort of the other the other factor when you when you look at um, stuff like how is this handled internally in, in NDAs and all that kind of stuff. Because I think, as a politician of any party, you want to be able to avoid the uh, sure. the situation where someone can just make allegations and and uh, hit you with them. So yeah, you know. I'm- I'm actually glad you brought that up, that whole thing about kind of transparency and, and, and all that internal thing, because, you know, in one of the first things that Demo- the Democratic majority in the House did is they they approved these changes to a number of changes, actually, to internal House processes. And one of the big one really would make it easier for members of both the majority and the minority to propose amendments to legislation. And now, this isn't actually, I should point out, a super unusual thing, because what typically happens when you have a changeover in the leadership, at least on the House side, is that uh, the new leadership commits to a more small-D democratic, uh, more inclusive, legis- more transparent legislative process. And then what happens is they, found out, they find out that this makes getting anything passed a <laughs> whole lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they move back to a more leadership-controlled model. But but that said, during Pelosi's first go around as Speaker, the House Rules Committee, which is kind of the handpicked committee by the leadership that controls what are called open or closed rules, allowing amendments on the floor, they were far more likely to allow floor amendments than during the speakerships of Republicans John Boehner or Paul Ryan. I did some rough calculations uh, under Pelosi that they were around five times more likely by, and again, these are pretty rough calculations. So uh, I was kind of curious, Jay, as to your take on this sort of move toward making the process more open by the House Democrats. I mean, uh, do you think that Democrats are just, go ahead. No, I actually, I'm, I'm very much for that sort of uh, open amendment sort of, sort of process. Um, uh, I, I, I think they'll live to regret it, (laughs) but uh, you know, you, you point out, I think the you know, the Boehner um, rules and so forth, uh, the the concern um i think when uh Boehner was speaker was not boy we're going to get some tricky amendments from the democrats that will make you know make voting on this bill tough or or difficult uh, uh i think their concern was amendments from the freedom caucus um, in part yeah absolutely uh, that was that was the bigger concern was was amendments f- from their own party um and I think Nancy Pelosi is going to face that same problem down the road. Yeah, I, I, I but, but, agree. but I, in principle, I think, I think that's, that's a great thing is that, uh, members should be able to pro- propose amendments on the floor. Um, again, you have to have sort of limits so that you don't, um, uh, there is, it's not just, you know, pandemonium and you're rewriting the bill on the house floor. Um, um, and, and the typical way to, you know, to do this is to see that everyone is everyone who can be accommodated, 
at least from your party, is accommodated in the committee process. Yeah. yeah well, you um, know, I think more generally, my feeling is that Republicans historically, and just maybe even temperamentally, are a little more uh, comfortable with hierarchy, a little more command and control, whereas Democrats are a little more kind of let a thousand you know, flowers bloom or whatever, you know, want to call it essentially. And that, and that's been one of the, depending on how you look at it, one of the strengths or weaknesses either way um, that uh, Republicans, I think are just more comfortable with that sort of centralized authority kind of model. Mm, I don't know. I, I, I disagree with you on, on that. And, and again, my, my, my model for the disagreement would be Harry Reid's Senate. Uh, where well, he, yeah, he the, disallowed I think any the, the Senate's, I think, are sort of a different, is sort of a different institution in general. But, uh, but I mean, I think Mitch McConnell is certainly a pretty serious command and control kind of guy. So I think that's just part of being an effective Senate, uh, Senate majority leader, given how, you know, how well you're dealing with senators and God, they're, they're a tough, they're a tough bunch to sure. deal with, certainly. Sure. So, but. You know, I, I did want to, before you moved on from this, I, I wanted to point out that obviously, you know how I feel about Donald Trump. Um, it's pretty clear. I spend a lot of time criticizing him for uh, divisiveness, boorishness, duplicity. I think he's a horrible human being, almost as bad as Mitch McConnell in some ways, right? right. But, but I feel it's only right to mention that he was downright gracious for a moment in commenting on Speaker Pelosi on her on her election, there was this appearance before White House reporters this week that was erroneously called a press conference. It wasn't. It was just a statement he made before the White House press. He said, I just want to start off by congratulating Nancy Pelosi on being elected Speaker of the House. It's a very, very great achievement. And hopefully we're going to work together and we're going to get lots of things done like infrastructure and so much more. And I know they want to do that very badly. And so do I. So hopefully we're going to have a lot of things we can get done together, and I think it's actually going to work out. I think it will be a little different than a lot of people are thinking. So I congratulate Nancy. Tremendous, tremendous achievement. So, okay, Jay, I mean, I would probably, my guess is that just that's just Donald Trump being seized, in the, seized up by the moment and just sort of saying something that he kind of felt in the moment. It doesn't mean anything. You know, there are some people who are saying, well, there may be an opportunity to work on things like infrastructure, because, of course, infrastructure means spending money. And, you know, Donald Trump's right. OK with that. And Democrats are OK with that. The Freedom Caucus certainly wouldn't be OK with that. But is that just just a moment of Trump kind of getting carried away? And or is there anything to that, do you think? Uh, you know, I don't know that I'd read read a ton into it um you know take it take it in context of of everything we talked about at the beginning of the show about you know the government is shut down um yeah. because we're we're you know we're arguing over what we call um uh this this particular barrier and and whether it's you know going to be five billion or one and a half billion um but it look it's it was one of those appropriate things that that you say um when when a new speaker takes office, right? right. But it's so um, weird to hear Donald Trump say an appropriate thing to say. It is, <laughs> it, it is, and so maybe that's why it comes off as a little as a little startling. But uh, um, no, I, I, look, I think I think Trump really does believe in making deals. Sure. And and sometimes I think he might even look at the Democrats, uh, uh, his buddies, as he calls them, Chuck and Nancy. Um, are 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 people he can deal with 
um, and particularly because he doesn't have a, a really rigid ideological um, uh, set of principles that he follows, except on trade and uh, immigration. Other, other than other than his sort of personal aggrandizement. Um, well, no, I'd say trade and immigration. He has uh, as close as he gets to principles, and his, you know that he has principles on those, and 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 that's why we have the problem we have with the shutdown right now. Yeah. So, um, but, but, but you don't, uh, you don't really see, so you, you actually see that maybe, I mean, obviously there was the criminal justice thing that was worked out in the last Congress. Uh, uh, and we talked about that last time, but so do you see, you know, Trump specifically mentioned infrastructure. Do you see that happening? Oh, I think there'll, I think there'll be a, an infrastructure push from, uh, from the administration. I think I'll put something out there. Um, I think, uh, I think it eventually, it might stall because, if I'm Nancy Pelosi, uh, I'm again. I am loath to give Trump any sort of victory, uh, particularly if it would relate to creating jobs. Uh, and, and you know, so what? What the Democrats do is just say, okay, yeah, we're all for infrastructure, but the price tag is ten times whatever Trump has proposed. Yeah, I, I I disagree with you on that. I think that there are actually a lot more Democrats who care about people as opposed to just your kind of cynical policy Machiavellian maneuverings, but I think their problem they're going to run into with it is that what the administration is going to propose is this sort of uh, kleptocracy type public-private partnership thing that's going to enrich some, you know, crony capitalists at the expense of the public, and they're not going to go for that because they're going to want to see more traditional kind of public work sort of thing, and that's where we're going to flounder on that. So I don't think there's going to be a deal on infrastructure, but we'll we'll kind of see how that uh, how that plays out. But uh, before we move on, go ahead, Jay, what you're saying. No, that was it. I was just going to say, okay. All right. Uh, so before <laughs> we move on to our next story, we want to thank our newest supporters. Uh, we've got a bunch of them. People have really stepped up in the last couple of weeks. And hey, it's great. On Patreon, our new sustaining supporters, Noah, Georgios, uh, Tara, Brian, Daniela, Zach, Colin, Bennett, and Michael. Wow. wow that's a lot. Yeah, I know. And on PayPal, we had uh, uh Daniel, who made a generous one-time uh, contribution. Also, John, same thing. And Dimitri, who's a, a continuing monthly sustaining supporter on PayPal. You can actually do that. And a couple comments our new, our new supporters made. Daniela, who's from sunny San Diego. And I had to mention that, looking out the window now, we have this kind of uh, winter in Cincinnati is basically gray, rainy, and 40s, which is just some of the most depressing weather anywhere. Um, Anyway, Danielle says, uh, my boy, my boyfriend, Jorge, and I have been listening to your podcast for about a year back when you had the instrumental theme song. It was great. You know, a lot of people like that. A lot of people just felt it was too kind of low key. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I still think about it. Anyway, she says, we listen to your podcast on a long car ride to L.A. and spend the whole drive debating your topics and analyzing your arguments. I graduated from undergrad about a year and a half ago and considered myself fiercely liberal but living outside the college bubble has pushed me toward the center. I tend to agree with Mike nine out of 10 times, but Jay has some good points once in a while. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, Danielle. Actually. I appreciate that. <laughs> she said, I became a Patreon supporter to ac for access to Mike's content on American politics and to hear you two debate racism and sexism, which we recently did. Uh, I really enjoy your show. Uh, happy holidays. Thanks so much, Danielle. Thank you. Yep. Noah had this to say. Thank you for this wonderful service. I've been listening to for about a year now, but only recently acquired the means to properly support you on Patreon. I love hearing the discussions you have with Jay regarding the state of American politics. You guys make a great team, and I hope the podcast continues to air for years to come. 
Side note, I'm currently working on an essay collection that was inspired by your podcast. I look wow. forward. To, yeah, I know. We inspired somebody. Isn't that cool? And he says, I'd look forward to its publication. If either you or Jay is ever interested in learning more, I'd be happy to send the first issue. So definitely, Noah, I think that would be, be great awesome. to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then finally, Zach writes, I've been a listener for a few months, but was finally motivated to support, not by your clever incentives, though those did help a bit, but by the disappointing listener comments I've heard featured on your show. The, yeah, the vitriolic and aggressive attempts to talk smack on both main hosts, but primarily Jay, are, <laughs> yeah, are in my opinion the perfect example of the problem in American society. The inability to even listen to an opposing view without trying to discredit is why we need a show like yours. Keep being who you are, Jay. We appreciate you. So that was oh, my favorite thank you. comment. That's, that, mean, that means a lot. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, Jay, it's, sometimes it's rough sledding getting through all the listener mail, but Jay, Jay, uh, you I, do, will, I will continue on. Jay does get a lot of, we, we have our people who have their issues with Jay. And so whenever there's a listener who writes in who's sort of a, uh, not, not even necessarily Team Jay, but a Jay supporter, I definitely like to highlight that. Those are some of my favorite, those are some of my favorite messages. So thanks, everyone. And of course, if you want to help support the show, if you just want to, you know, help support Jay. <laughs> He could use exactly. all the help me help me make it through the week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash politics guys is a direct Patreon link. Uh, or also you can just go to politicsguys.com slash support. And we definitely appreciate all the help. It's been great. The, the outpouring of support we've seen the last few weeks, it means a lot and helps us helps us keep on going. All right. So moving on. Also this week, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren said she was launching an exploratory committee for the 2020 presidential nomination for the Democrats, which in effect announces her candidacy. Um, she's the first Democrat to declare, though I'm sure it won't be long before the field grows. Now, just on the Senate side, Jay, I count at least six serious possibilities for the Democrats. Bernie Sanders, of course, along with Kamala Harris, Sherrod Brown, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, and Kirsten Gillibrand. And that's just in the Senate. Then there's also former Vice President Joe <laughs> pretty, Biden. Pretty much most Democrats in the Senate. You know, are there are a lot of them. I yeah, think we absolutely. Can just take that. Yeah. Yeah. I, but then we also have, you know, the, aside from Joe Biden, uh, who who I I love and would probably be on, I'd be on the Biden bandwagon if he weren't as old as he is, essentially. Um, but also there's Michael Bloomberg, who sort of strikes me as kind of the. Uh, 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 I was going to say the there was. Uh, this kind of dates me a little bit, Jay, but you remember back in the 80s, we had a New York politician who was sort of the, the hamlet of American presidential politics and will he or won't he kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? I do. And I do. Yes. What are we talking Mario about here? Mario, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, so he's kind of been like sort of the, the Cuomo-esque sort of figure here. I don't think that Bloomberg, I don't know, maybe he will get involved. We'll see. But, but aside from Bloomberg, there's also, uh, of course, Texas uh, Representative Beto O'Rourke, who gave Ted Cruz a scare, and his or former Texas Representative, I'm sorry, who gave Ted Cruz at least something of a scare in the most recent Senate election. And, and you know, in all these names, and those are, I think, the names that are most commonly mentioned, what you don't hear a lot of are former or current governors. And there's, there's, at least in the past, there was this tradition of governors being kind of, that being the stepping stone, given that it's a executive position and so forth. But apparently sure. we don't really care so much about actually experience being a qualification for office anymore. That's just kind of gone by the boards. But I guess of governors, the couple people we sometimes see mentioned one, at least, and I'll, I, 
been kind of pushing him is John Hickenlooper. He's the current Colorado governor for three more days. He was term limited out, and so he leaves office on the 8th. Uh, I'm actually a big, I am on the Hickenlooper bandwagon. I think he would be a, a great candidate, but, uh, but, but, but there you go. Um, and obviously, things are pretty wide open for the Democrats in 2020, a lot more so than in 2016. This really shocked me when I heard about it, but at this point in the previous election cycle, that would be January 2015, back then, 63 Democratic members of Congress had already declared their support for Hillary Clinton, compared to zero declared supporters for anyone right now. Um, so things are pretty open. There's no presumptive favorite at this point. And not only that, but after 2016, the Democratic Party changed their nomination rules to make it harder for an establishment favorite like Hillary Clinton to build this big early lead in superdelegates. So even if there were an establishment choice, which there isn't, it would be a lot tougher person or a lot tougher for that person to kind of jump right ahead and make themselves seem like the prohibitive favorite. So I guess there are two things here, Jay. First off, what do you think about Warren as a candidate? You know, and secondly, how do you, what do you think about kind of these democratic contenders in general? Well, one name that you didn't mention, um, of course, is Hillary Clinton. Well, you mentioned it, but not in terms of a candidate. Yeah, she's not, Um, she won't, she won't run and rightly so. I disagree. Okay. Well, you're wrong on that. (laughs) I will say you're wrong on that because I think there's really no great indication. And I think that she's, she, she has accepted the, the fact. The indication is she's Hillary Clinton. What's that? Uh, the, the, indica- the only indication you need is she is Hillary Clinton. She believes in her heart and soul that she is destined to be America's first woman president and no one is going to stop her. Yeah, it's not. I, I think you're. She will I run think, again. She will run again. That's a misread. Uh, but, I'm, I'm going. Okay, we're both going on record here, Jeff. So you're saying for, for 2020, obviously. I'm going on record saying yeah. she will not run and I feel fairly certain about that, and you feel fairly, fairly certain that she will, in fact, run. Yep. Okay, we'll find out, you know, before too long. No, but what about— no, so, but as far as, as, Go ahead. You know, as far as Elizabeth Warren, um, uh, look, I, I don't know how that's going to play in the heartland. Um, I think she's, got, she's going to have a lot of issues. She's decidedly the, the you know, uh, uh, favorite of, of the, the left. Um, I don't know how that uh, how that translates outside of uh, again into into red states. Uh, she also has the the whole uh, Cherokee issue, um, which you know we sort of chuckle about. But I I think um, that that is something that would would really grate at a lot of people. Um, wow, I, I think that's oh. so totally a manufactured thing of Donald Trump and the right wing echo chamber that I think has that so that's so she, marginal. She ran, right, manifest. She ran. She ran this whole big sort of semi documentary political ad about doing getting her uh, uh, DNA test and, and so forth. So I, I don't. I don't think it was manufactured by by Trump. I mean. Um, so we'll we'll see, but I, I look. It's regardless of, of who manufactured it, uh, it's an issue that she has, and and she she you know played it up uh, with that uh, uh, what what is you know pretty much was a political act um, and fell flat. And and I really this this is something that it's it's underestimated because it's something people don't and can't talk about. Um, but I really 
the vast majority of, of America has a real problem with racial preference sort of sort of systems. And and if you know her her thing as well, she sort of got this job. And again, there's the dispute, well, she didn't really get the job because because of her claimed ancestry and so forth. Um, um but uh yeah, I think that's it's a, that's an issue I have to contend with and I think it's it will be it will be harmful to her. I, I think that I think the right has been mischaracterizing the whole DNA thing, uh, but I think it's a it's a non-issue that the right's focusing on because they don't want to focus on the fact that she's pushing this the the fact that the crony capitalists have more and more taken over. And this used to be an issue that at least some people on the right seem to care about, but apparently it isn't really. I mean, and so oh, well, wait, wait, wait. I'm I'm not I'm not saying there, there's two different things of saying. Uh, she's not going to sell in the heartland because of the uh, the ancestry thing, um, and to say what what the right's going to going to push on. Um, I would I would fully expect if she's a candidate uh, that the the response would be look she's she's essentially a, a Bernie Sanders socialist and wants to expand programs that there's no way we can ever pay for. Uh, I think that would be the you know the pushback. I'm I'm just saying, regardless of of whether um, any Republican ever. Um, and keep in mind, it's not going to be Republicans who run the ads in the first place. It'll be Democrats, uh, on the ancestry stuff. Um, uh, she's going to have a problem with it. I I think, well, we'll see, because obviously this is going to, just going to play out since she's a candidate. We'll see. But I think you're, you're greatly misreading the, uh, the native American thing, but well, I mean, one of us is going to be right on this. So we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. But you know, contributed to a book, uh, called powwow chow. Absolutely. So, like which, I said, which if you want something really actually hilarious to read, go to Amazon and look up Pow Wow Chow, and read the um, the reviews, yeah. which are which are awesome. I, I'm sh- I'm sure they are, but but again, I think this is this is certainly a huge issue for a small subset of people who would never vote for Elizabeth Warren or any Democrat in the first place, and so I, I think that's just. This is this is essentially a non-issue for for most voters, but we will we will see. Uh, what any thoughts on any of the other potential candidates, Jay? On the Democratic side, well, you know, there's there's also been some rumblings, um, uh, some anti-Sanders rumblings, uh, discussing about did uh, was the Sanders campaign sort of a hostile work environment, as we talked about earlier. Um, there were allegations that it was a very male-centric thing that you know women were not treated uh, properly. And again, this is not to say a uh, Me Too type situation harassment, but it was just not a woman-friendly environment is essentially how the allegations go. Uh, and and Bernie's response was, hey, look, don't blame me. I was out campaigning. I can't keep track of all this stuff. Um, there there may be some pushback there. Uh, when you consider, look, the, the Democratic uh, primary voter is is far more uh, liberal than the the you know conventional uh, November voter. Um, these these little things are going to make a difference. And if, if, you know, the word is Bernie isn't woman friendly, that's that's going to hurt him. So uh, any anything remotely positive to say about any of the Democratic candidates, Jay? Um, I, I would agree with you. Hickenlooper is is uh, the least bad. <laughs> um, OK. And, uh, and what, no, I, what? I look, I look, because again, you would you would look as him on him as he is a sort of a. Um, Moderate, certainly uh, compared to to Warren Sanders and, and Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, and so forth. Uh, he's someone who ran a a purplish state, um, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he's someone who could, uh, I think, as a Westerner, 
uh, could actually pull, uh, pull, when I say Westerner as opposed to West Coaster, um, you know, could appeal to, to people in the heartland. Um, so I, I think he's one of their better candidates. I think Biden would be one of their better candidates also. Um, but I don't know that he's that Biden's going to run. And, and Hickenlooper's got that, you know, that sort of that, that sort of back history that he hasn't been a lifelong politician. You know, it was this, uh, I believe he was a, I think it was a geologist, and he ended up losing his job, and, and then he founded a brew pub, and that grew huge, yeah. and he got a ton of money from that, and ended up running for mayor and then governor and so forth. So that's the kind of story that's sort of a very sort of centrist type of thing with a lot of, a lot of appeal for that, certainly. Though he would certainly have some critique on the, uh, on the left of the party, that, you know, given that he doesn't kind of share a lot of the progressive uh, agenda there. So, uh, no, I also, before, I also wanted to talk a little bit on the Republican side. Now, obviously, Donald Trump is the presumptive nominee, um, though there are some rumbles that he might face a challenge. And one person whose name often comes up is Mitt Romney, the new senator from Utah, former Massachusetts governor, 2012 Republican presidential nominee. And, you know, there's kind of this sort of will there be a draft Romney kind of campaign and that sort of thing. And I should point out that this isn't an entirely unusual thing. 1976, Ronald Reagan challenged uh, Gerald Ford, the incumbent. 1980, Ted Kennedy challenges uh, Jimmy Carter. 1992, Pat Buchanan challenges George uh, George W. Bush. So, I mean, you know, these things have happened in, you know, not all that distant history. What, what do you think, Jay? Is, is Romney or anyone else going to even seriously consider a challenge to Donald Trump? I, I don't know that they consider another, I mean, another person that I, I wonder about is John Kasich, mm. uh, who continues to, you know, sort of raise money and go around, uh, uh, you know, hit, hitting the talk show circuit and so forth, um, and talking about, you know, options and working together and so forth. Um, Romney's <clears throat> statements last week were, to me, goofy, uh, where he sort of, you know, sort of this out of the blue, uh, you know, launched an attack at the president. Um, on you know basically on on character issues and look there's plenty to talk about there but there's also going to be plenty of time to talk about it uh so yeah which i think is why some people are saying well why else would he do that you know there there seems to be no logical reason to do that unless he's sort of kind of throwing it out there as a trial balloon seeing the kind of response and and kind of that could be possibly the first step toward kind of a a draft romney movement that he would be he and his, his his people would be sort of orchestrating behind the scenes to a certain extent. Yeah, and now that, that's my sense of what it is 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 a trial balloon. Uh, I don't know that he's he's in it to to run necessarily, um, but I think there are people who, who are positioning themselves uh, just in case, right? I mean, yeah, sure, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Any with because again with Trump, anything can happen. Literally, anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's I think that's the thing is there are a couple of people who are just want to put themselves in a place where they are 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 prepared yeah. to, to step up if something does happen. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they're going to mount a challenge, um, you I know, think, absent I, yeah. some, some extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, I think especially because there's I mean, who knows what's going to happen with impeachment uh, and all that. And just recently before just before we aired, there was news that uh the uh, the Mueller grand jury was uh, extended for another six months, so that could go on a little further. And I mean, 
who knows what we're going to see with that. You and I haven't talked a lot about that because we're kind of waiting, you know, for the, the end game of that. But I think Wait, you're, Bob. Yeah, but, but I think but I think you're right. The the smart thing to do if you think you'd be a good president, and that's a lot of people, obviously, that you you kind of keep your powder dry and prepare as best you can just in case Donald Trump self-destructs. Because we haven't seen how Donald Trump is going to react to all these investigations. And I mean, to this point, he's been dealing with a quote unquote friendly Congress to a certain extent. So what could happen? Who knows what could happen? So I think you're right. that it's- Well, I, the, the other thing, though, that I think where Romney made a mistake is uh, Trump uh, still enjoys a, a fairly, actually really high approval rating among the Republican Party, more so than he did, uh, I think, back when he was elected. Um, so I mean, I, I think it's a mistake to, um, I mean, if Rom, if that's if that's Romney's goal to position himself in case something, uh, uh, you know, goes horribly wrong, I don't think the pro the, the first move is to take a shot at Trump, right? Um, or at least at least not that directly. Uh, I, I think a a you know first move is is maybe to. Um, you know, say, look, hey, I'm the responsible, cool-headed uh, leader you can count on, and who's not going to say crazy stuff, uh, rather than starting off with this guy's crazy and horrible person. But yeah. well, it was interesting how you know, he's met Romney, so you know. Well, it's interesting how restrained Donald Trump was in response to that, and the word is that you know advisors were telling him don't don't give this any oxygen, and basically all Trump said was you know I wish Mitt could be more of a team player, you know, but and that's yeah. that's extraordinarily yeah, which, which is which is good, yeah, it's the smart and, move. And it's exactly it's exactly the smart move because and maybe Mitt was counting on, um, right, you know Trump sort of sort of making him the the uh, the, the apparent uh, next in line by you know. Yeah, by absolutely. talking about them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, all right. Well, I think that about uh, wraps it up for, for today. But I should say that, you know, as soon as we're done recording this show, we're, we're going to be doing our uh, special uh, Patreon supporters exclusive bonus show. And I think this week I, there's some stuff that I've been reading that I, I'm really looking forward to, to talking about. And, and I thought, Jay, I, it would be kind of interesting to talk about the whole Louis C.K. thing and political correctness a little bit and uh, okay. maybe some other stuff. So uh, I have some thoughts on that. And uh, who knows? We'll, we'll see what we, we come up with. But if you're a supporter, uh, that should be in your podcast app uh, by the time you hear this. And if you're not a supporter, of course, you can become one by going to either politicsguys.com slash support or directly to our Patreon page patreon.com slash politics guys but that does it for right now thanks for listening we do hope you like what you heard and really if you have anything to say to us if you think i'm crazy about something or jay is or you're pro mike pro jay don't encourage people like that i mean just say encourage if you like want to say something nice i mean if you want to say something nice but if you have a question comment we love dealing with that stuff but you're right jay you know i shouldn't encourage the encourage the radical fringe i guess but but anyway let us know mail at politicsguys.com. There's also our Facebook page. We have all kinds of interesting discussions throughout the week, uh, facebook.com slash politicsguys. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Ondorf, Will Miller, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you join us.